Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 86, where in a moment, we look at new build mortgages with the help of today's guest expert, Cameron McLean of McLean Financial Services. That's today's show topic, and it's on the way, like I say, in just a second. But please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows. Because in our programmes today, we feature loads of stuff, pensions, investing, life insurance, and lots more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last week, we looked at critical illness cover. Remember, we can drill down and focus on pretty much anything forensically. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll get us there. As I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. Then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis, and with me as always, the star of our show, it's Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? Good, thank you. Another guest, Phil, this time Cameron McLean of uh, McLean Financial Services, here to discuss new build mortgages. Welcome, Cameron. Deep welcome, John. Phil, thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, we'll get on to the subject of new build mortgages in just a second, but maybe you could tell us a bit about yourself and, and McLean Financial Services, first of all. Indeed. So I've been involved in the financial sector for almost two decades now. I've got the wonderful wife, Mabel, that supports me and the two kids. So I've got Freya and Harris. So I encapsulate the gentleman's family and (laughs) uh, they they keep me well on my toes. Uh, My other passions are motorbikes. I've got an old bandit and I've got an electric bike, which potters around town. Um, and I'm also into my whiskey, so I've got 320 bottles that are currently unopened. Wow, um, it's just sitting there waiting for that day when I go, right, that's me retiring. What's it worth? Am I drinking it or am I not drinking it? The party is going to be epic. So uh, hang around for that. It will be a few years, I'm afraid, but... I tell you what, I hope it takes you longer than a day. <laughs> <laughs> we, we once got Phil Anderson Financial Services whiskey done. Now, I, I didn't drink whiskey, but I've still got bottles upstairs. I can easily give you one, but I've heard that didn't taste that great. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it's one of those ones where you tend to find a distiller that you like and you tend to follow them, either that or the, the blenders and the people that are actually putting it together and the flavours that they come out with, that tends to be what allows you to, to move around. But there's so many um, distillers out there, you, you could literally spend fortunes having it. But as long as you enjoy it, then you're going to have something to look forward to at the end of the day. I honestly don't know a single thing about whiskey other than, you know, what, what I sort of like. And the other thing that I know about it is one too many and I become a foaming at the mouth Jacobite. And I don't I don't quite know why, but you hear that you hear that about a lot of people, you know, it, it just brings out like the worst of you sometimes. Anyway, we're we're talking about the idea of a new build mortgage. I suppose the appeal here is that you, you know you're first through the door. You you're normally buying these off a plot, so you get a chance to choose location and how it lies in relation to, to any other homes there. Maybe pick a, a slightly tucked away corner plot for an extra few quid, that sort of thing. But what are the main differences between a, a new build mortgage and a mortgage and a normal purchase, Cameron? The lenders are starting to change their view on, on properties. So we're now starting to see green deals coming through whereby if your property is a EPC in A or B, that they're gonna reward you with either a slightly lower rate or a bit more cash back. 
what we are expecting the industry to start doing is to reward people who are able to encapsulate that their energy usage is lower. So their bills are then going to be lower. So it increases their affordability. The lenders are just trying different tactics to try and work out how best to encourage people to get into that side of things. You know, one of the, the things that we're seeing at the moment is the buy-to-let market. So the government's turned around and said, look, at the moment you can be an energy rating E, but by 2025, for your new tenancies, you need to be an EPC rating C. Now, if we take a, a wander along Fountain Hill Road and those nice million pound properties that are made of granite, they're probably going to be further down the energy, energy ratings. Getting them up to an energy rating C, never mind a B or an A, is going to be a very expensive process. And I know the government wants to get to the point where they turn around saying 2028, all tenancy has to be a C or higher. We want or we reckon that they'll start pushing over into the residential market and trying to push the energy ratings there. But if you're going to turn around to those people and say, yeah, your million pound house is worth something today, but in a couple of years time, it's going to be worth nothing because you can financially put in the money to get those properties up to the right spec. It's potentially going to be an issue. And, and that's where the new builds are getting ahead of that game because they're already building to the AB sort of levels. And that's one of the, the nice incentives that they've got is that they can turn around and say, we know that when you move in, your energy bills are going to be lower. So you're going to save money on that front. You don't have to worry about the boiler packing in after a couple of weeks because it's a brand new one that's in. Yes, the snagging list there because the guys that are in building the house that are putting everything together, the house takes a bit of time to settle. So they're normally turning around and saying, in your first year, don't go doing anything too crazy like painting the walls bright pink because if the builder's coming back in to fix any settlement cracks, they're going to paint it the standard white that they had it. Um, and you're then looking at going, I've got three pink walls and one white wall, not really the feature I was looking at. So yeah, you've got that sort of incentive to a new build over at an older property. From a mortgage point of view, the next thing that we're tending to look at is when the property is going to be ready because if you're buying an older property they're tending to look at moving in the next two to three months so a mortgage offer being valid for six months you're easily well within that even if you wanted to delay things a little bit a new build property we're currently looking at properties that are going to complete anywhere from late summer into next year so if I'm turning around to you going, right, Phil, your offer is valid for six months. That is great. That's as to October. And you're sitting there going, wait a minute. The builder said it's not going to be January to get my keys. That deal is worthless to me because I'm never going to be able to take it. So you're then having to be quite specific on the lender that you're using to go, well, OK, am I able to extend it by a further six months? Great news, Phil. Your offer's there till April next year. Don't worry about it. It's all taken care of. Sign your contracts. Job's done. When you're signing your contracts, you're putting down a little bit more money. So this is all money you're having to think about in the cash flow thing. Because if I was selling my house and turn around and say, right, John, you can get the keys on the 1st of August. And Phil's going, right, I'm selling you this new house. I want some money off you now, Cameron. And I go, well, wait a minute. I can't give you three bricks because it's all tied up in the bricks and mortar. It's all equity in there. And then having to use my savings to pay the money on the missives, 
knowing that when John buys my house and I buy, buy Phil's nice shiny house, the money is all going to balance out. It's that cash flow difference because with an older property, the money only gets sent when I'm getting the keys. So if we flip it around and I'm buying Phil's older property because he's been living in it for a year, when your money goes to my solicitor and my money goes to Phil's solicitor, all the accounts are settled. There was no money handed out before that then gets balanced out. Um, and I don't have to worry about any upgrades or extras getting paid for when I'm signing my missives because I'm going to do that after I've moved in. And I went, right, Phil, I loved your kitchen for the 80s. It was great in its day, but it now needs upgraded. So you've got that balancing act where when you're looking at the property, you're going, do I need to do anything to it to get it the way I want? Or am I totally happy with it and how it's done? You've also got the, the fun in negotiating because the, the, both sides of the coin are, are different. With the older property, when Phil puts it on at the market and says, look, I'm looking for offers over 300,000, and I come out and go, come on, Phil, I've known you since back in the day. Our grannies went to the same school. You can do me a mate's right here and give me a wee discount. The, the underwriter is going to base it off of the, the lower price that I'm paying for it. Whereas if I go down to the central belt and I go, right, Phil, I want your house. You're like, yeah, I've got 10 other people lined up that want it as well. So who's putting the highest offer in? And I'm then going to offers over. And that money that I'm going over is counting on top of my normal deposit. So I'm having to put more money in. Whereas with a new build property, when they're turning around and saying, right, we're advertising it for 299995 because we don't want to hit that 300,000 markets, all the psychological marketing. They won't normally budge on the price, but they will turn around and say, well, Cameron, you know, we'll offer you part exchange on your old property so you don't have to worry about selling it and having people, you know, coming out and view it. We'll just take it off your hands. Here's what we can do. It's easy process. We'll put new carpets in the house for you. We'll put grass out the front, or we'll give you some sparkly tiles and some wardrobes and upgrade it. Um, we do still get some builders offering a deposit contribution. So from the underwriter's point of view, they've normally got a 5% limit that they'll go to. So if I was buying at the 299995, I'm just under $15,000 is my maximum cash incentive, whether it's deposit contribution, land tax, or solicitor's cost, whatever I want to label it as, that's my limit on it. Whereas my white goods, they don't tend to count towards the, the cash incentive. And this then leads back to the original questions we were looking at at the beginning, where we're turning around and saying, okay, when are you getting the keys? How much deposit are you putting in? Some lenders will quite happily allow the 5%, but some will actually deduct it off the purchase price. So if I turned around and said, yeah, it's just under 300,000, but they're going to give me 15,000, the underwriter's going, well, wait a minute, you're not paying 300, you're only paying 285. So that's how I'm going to work my numbers. And that 5% I thought I was going to be smart and use for my deposit has now disappeared off the table. One question, Cameron, that, that I had. See, with the surveys, like if you're buying a new house in Scotland, there's usually a, a home report done, but... Do the lenders tend to instruct the surveys on, on the new builds? Is that what would happen there? Exactly. So the, the benefit there is that it's not the builder or the broker that's going to control it. It's the lender. Now, in that respect, it makes it easier for the valuer because he sees the bank as being the client. So he holds no allegiance to anyone that's really involved in the, the, the buying process. 
and he'll give that truthful answer of... Do you, do you tend to find the values come in at what people's paying for it or can that differ at times? It, it can differ at times according to the market. The builders tend to be quite savvy about it because as much as they want to get as much as they can for the property, they don't want to be turning around to you going, right, Phil, it's worth half a million pounds. And then the value comes in and goes, yeah, it's worth 300 at best, mate. And all of a sudden you're going back going, well, you try to sell it for half a million, yeah. it's going worth 300. It doesn't leave a good taste. Going back as well, just when you were speaking about the builders will look for a deposit. Am I right in saying you sometimes put down a deposit when you order or when you say, yep, I'm buying that house. And then there's a further one when you conclude missives or exchange contracts. But what kind of amounts as well do they typically look for? Your reservation fee tends to be about £500. Sometimes they'll do a bit less and say, look, it's £99. Sometimes it'll be a bit more, about £1,000. Yeah. It's going to count towards your total deposit that you're putting in on the property. Um, when you're signing your missives, again, it changes depending on the builder, but 2.5% up to 5%, and then your upgrades and extras on top. So say when you're moving from property A to property B, if everything's tied up in equity, and I'm suddenly turned around and saying, yeah, I need 15 grand from you, Phil. It's like, whoa, wait a minute, I hadn't really budgeted for that. So yeah. that's where the planning comes into it. Yeah. What, what would you say that the big advantages are for someone to buy a, a new build property? Definitely the fact that you can walk in and know that everything is brand new in it. Uh, being able to pick the, the location, as John was saying earlier, it tends to be more south-facing gardens so I can get my bikini on and, and get my suntan up here because I'm looking a bit peely Valley these days. <laughs> um, but it can simply be a case of when you're looking at the site plan and going, right, I want a, a three-bedroom property, and they're going, well, we've got these three that are available. You get to pick and choose which one's there. Whereas when the builders moved out, and I'm then trying to buy a property in that area because I like the schools, I like the, the connection to work, I like the area, and um, because a lot of them are trying to be more eco-designed. So if you look over at Countess Wells, they effectively did the build the backwards where they put in all the bridal paths and the trees so that we're now five years down the road you're actually going in and it looks like an established estate mm. as opposed to it being a brand new build where they are still building on it and they will still be building on it for the next five years. Mm -hmm. it's Clever though, changed. isn't it? It is. Do you know, it's one of those ones where normally the builder would build the house, stick a few trees in, leave it, that's me off. And, and you were left for a time period where it still looked like a building site, mm -hmm. even after they had left. So th this is them trying to do it differently, where they're like, look, let's put the trees in early, make it look pretty, and that will encourage more people to, to buy into it. You, you're talking about the advantages there. And there, there's, a, I think the biggest thing with new builds is that kind of peace of mind thing, isn't there? You walk straight and you mention it, you dump your bags, you get going. And, and that carries definite appeal uh, to those maybe just starting out. And, and people like me who've been living for the last 20 odd years in the house, which was built in 1850. And I'm fed up, you know, I'm fed up with spinning plates, constantly balancing out what I want to do with what I have to do in a building of that age. Like I say, the, the new build thing carries a lot of plus factors. But there must be a couple of cons that you've mentioned there that you, you can expand on that are in that element as well, Cameron. Exactly. I mean, you're talking, when I bought my new build when I came up to Aberdeen, so it was 2015 that I came up, 
And the uh, it was March 15 I reserved, and the builder was like, look, it's going to be January to March 16 before the house is ready. So that's totally fine. That works well my plans. They phoned me up in November and went, we actually built the houses in reverse order, so your house is going to be ready in December. I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's uh, three paychecks a bit too early. <laughs> like, well, hmm. we'd like our money on the 11th of December, please. So you can actually find that they come early as opposed to late, and the expectation is that you're going to be ready on time. The other side of it is if you sell your house now because you're like, look, I want to get ahead of the game. They've told me it's going to be ready in August. I'll sell it now. I'll move into rented for a couple of months and then I'll be good to go. And then when I get to August, the builder's like, I'm sorry, but our supplies are a bit low. We stopped for ice cream for the sunshine and COVID hit us. So we're actually looking at December when it's actually going to be ready. My rent went from a couple of months to, you know, six, seven, eight months. That You can have that sort of thing. If I'm renting, it's not too bad. But when I moved back with the in-laws because they said they were giving me a free room and I was like, well, it's only a couple of months I can handle that. I, I start to get a bit twitchy towards the, the end of that. So you do have that side. You've also got the whole changing it to the way that I want. So with our kitchen, we extended the worktop counter so that it, you could have the washing machine and tumble dryer next to each other and, and the counter went across the top as opposed to just having a gap. So I think it was about £200 for a worktop. And I was like, wait a minute, if I'd gone down to B&Q and got that worktop, I would have not been £200, even if I'd asked my best mate to come around and fit it for me. So you're sometimes looking at the cost of what they're asking, the changes that you're asking for, going, I'm not paying you £80 to put a spotlight in instead of a downlight because it's not that price to actually do it. Um, so that can sort of stick in you. Um, the other thing that we found out was um, when we got our garden, they hadn't turfed it because putting grass seed in cost them a, a huge amount of money. They, they wanted like a, a couple hundred pounds to put the grass seed down. And I was like, I'll go down to B&Q and pick up a tub of grass seed and throw it down myself. Thanks very much. <laughs> so it, it's the little things where you're like, do you know, it wouldn't have cost you a huge amount to finish it off, really make it, make it look aesthetically pleasing. But I've been in there five years, six years now. I still enjoy it. I've not had to do anything to it. So I don't have to worry too much about the dodgy DIY jobs that were done before. Um, I did try putting a, an extra hatch into the loft by stepping through the, the floorboards in between when I was flooring the loft. Uh, the wife was not impressed at the, the easy access up and down, so <laughs> it had to get patched over. But with the new build, you know that the quality of the work being is going to be good, as opposed to me going, don't worry about the hive system I put in, John. It was great. I just mm. duct taped some wires around the corners and I put, stuck a hole through there, but it'll totally meet the, the standards. You know. You've also got the enhanced um, legislation that's coming in with like your linked smoke alarms. So yeah. even though I bought my house back in 2015, um, the smoke alarms aren't linked. But yet the criteria from the government didn't come in until February this year. So from that side of things, they're looking ahead on that. They'd have flagged that up in advance for, for builders, I imagine, though, for de developers, wouldn't they? They'd have said, look, this will become law, so you might as well start building this with, with the linked fire alarms, smoke security alarms, all of that, in place in your new builds now because it's going to become part of law. 
Exactly. Yeah. You know? I was going to say, I guess another advantage of the, the new builds as well is that you've you've got the the NHBC. You've usually got like a at least a ten year sort of guarantee, do you, with new build properties? Yeah, the the NHBC, the Premier Guarantee, is there all there pretty much to say, look, the the builder is going to have done a reasonable job because we come out and, and check the the work to an extent, and that they'll look at previous builds, they'll look at how the site managers performed. They're not going to check over every plot as it's built, but they're going to randomly pick and, and look at it and say, look, if there is something catastrophic, then yeah, we're, we're here to try and act as a, a middleman to resolve it and either turn around and say, well, you as the builder should have done it properly, go and sort it, or I'm sorry, that's just wear and tear. So you as the, the house owner are going to have to sort that yourself. What sort of percentages can people borrow on, say, a new build house or flat? Is there the, like a percentage that they, they can usually borrow up to, Cameron? Uh, we've got a couple of lenders that will do 95%. You tend to find the, the criteria and the scoring is very tight at that level. The, the lenders are pretty much cherry-picking and going, OK, you're a solicitor, you're an accountant, we think you're going to be making megabucks in the next couple of years, we're really interested in you. Um, 10% is probably where more of the lenders will start to come in, and then 15% tends to be the, the open market for your houses your new build apartment or flats, the criteria tends to be a bit tighter on them. That They're not, I don't know whether it's because they've got that communal aspect to it, that they feel that there's a potential that the volume might come down a bit more. So they want to try and limit their risk to it. I think you mentioned this, I think you mentioned this earlier as well. It's something that interests me, but I, I didn't catch it entirely at the time. It's another one of these areas where, where parts of the UK differ. What happens in Scotland with a survey? Because you don't get a home report in a new build, do you? You don't. So the, the valuer will actually be instructed by the lender. Um, so when I turn around and say, right, I'm buying Phil's nice shiny new build property, Phil and I agree that we're going to pay 200 for it. He goes, right, that's fine. My job's then to turn around and say, right, the best lender is lender A, right, Lender A, here's all the documents. They then turn around to their panel of valuers and say, look, we need someone to go out and value Phil's property. Who's available to do it? They then go out, they look at the, the property. So if we're turning around saying it's not going to be ready until April next year, when they go to view it, all they're seeing is a patch of mud. So they're turning around going, right, Phil, what's the plans going to look like? What sort of spec are you going to do it? What sort of incentives are you doing on it? Because if you try and hide the information and say, oh, he's not getting any incentives, when the valuer goes out and looks at it, he gets the UK financial disclosure form, which goes to the lender and the solicitor saying, here's the price that's getting paid, here's the deal that's getting. So everything is transparent. Um, it then comes out of the woodwork at that point, but the valuer takes that all into consideration as well as the area that it's in. So if he's turning around saying it's in a, a high value area because the school catchment area, then he'll potentially use that to justify a slightly higher price as opposed to being a couple of streets over and it not being in that catchment area. I know people always talk about upturns and downturns and there's always chat too about there the, the being a massive shortage of homes across the UK as a whole. 
you mentioned incentives or deposit contributions there a minute or two ago. It always seems to me as I drive around that there, there are constantly homes going up. Do builders end up having to offer lots of incentives or, or deposit contributions? It, it really depends on the market that you're in. So if you go to the central bell Inverness across to Elgin, you really won't get much of an incentive, if anything, because they've literally got people queuing up at the door going, I know it's Thursday morning, I know you don't open till 11, but I really want to be the one that's in choosing the two plots that you got released this week. Mm. Um, so from that side of the side, they are fighting over it. The builders are then looking at it going, why do we want to offer an incentive mm. when we don't have to? Whereas when you've got potentially a slower market or you're trying to encourage the, the last few plots to get sold so you can finish that site and move on to the next one, you're then maybe a bit more receptive to it. What the builders have got to be careful about is that if they turn around to me and go, right, Cameron, we'll sell you it for 200 and then the next week Phil comes along and goes, right, Phil, there's lots of demand here. We're going to sell it to you for 250 they've got to make sure that the valuer is going to agree with them that that difference of a week on the exact same property in the same site is justifiable because the valuer is looking at it from his point of view going, you were this per square meter last week, you're this per square meter this week. Does the market really support that or is this you just trying to get as much as you can out of it? Mm. And and that is really the the... I can't actually remember the, the words for it, the, the, the backbone to it, the, the truth behind it. The, the crux of the matter. Um, the, that's the one, the crux of the matter, the, the acid <laughs> test for it. There you go, John. So you, you had my thoughts. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, it's the, the, the crux of the matter all comes down to will the valuer believe that the price you're paying for it, the deal that you're getting, mm. is all going to be supported because at the end of the day, his boss is the bank, and the bank's putting a lot of money into that deal, you know, uh, to make it all work. Are you finding, like, lenders' criteria's tightened a wee bit lately? I know standard mortgages, some lenders are doing less because they're thinking, right, interest rates have gone up, people are paying more for their gas, electricity. Is that something that you're finding with new builds? And also, you'd mentioned about the mortgage offers being for a set period of time. I'm guessing, like, if, if lenders' criteria changed, could that be an issue for someone buying a new build as well? Exactly. So the, the lenders are always changing their criteria depending on the, the market. So when we went into COVID, self-employed was the area that really got battered because a lot of the lenders were turning around and saying, look, unless you've got a 25% deposit, we're not even going to entertain you. And even coming out of COVID, they're turning around and saying, okay, what COVID grants did you take? What business bounce back loans did you take? Oh, well, we have to deduct that from your figures because that's not really money you earn. And it's like, well, wait a minute. The reason I didn't earn that money was because the government told me to stay at home. It wasn't as if I decided, you know what, I'm off to the beach and I'm going to do nothing. And you're now penalising me because my figures have all changed. So the... Cost of living going up has been reflected in the, the lenders' affordability calculations because they use the Office of National Statistics to work out what should Cameron, his wife and his two kids spend in a year on their normal bills, as opposed to me going, well, it was a quiet month, I had no birthdays, I had no Christmas, it was great, I had money left over, I was, it was Christmas, I had three birthdays, I had this, and I had no money left over. So they use that to try and average everything out as opposed to trying to scrutinise the bank statements, because it's all about the, the time that it takes to look at the case and decide 
how they want to view it. From the lender side of things, a lot of them see new build as being a, an area that they can expand into. So we got an email in this week saying that one of the, the bigger lenders is moving from a 15% deposit to a 10% deposit, as well as increasing their income multiple up to five times. So you've got that side of things. Their justification will be that the reason they're using five times your gross income is because the new build's going to offset that by the lower energy usage. Mm. So it's that whole balancing act where they'll turn around and say, okay, how much business do we expect to get out of this and what sort of return do we expect to see on it? One thing that we haven't really mentioned at all so far is the, the various like help to buy schemes, the different government initiatives which are, are out there. And I know a lot of these are, are geared to first-time buyers, but I'm assuming that would be something you would come across quite a lot. Is it, Cameron? Do you, do you do a lot of that type of thing? We did. We did. It's pretty much all dried up. <laughs> so the Help to Buy Scotland finished um, at the end of March. You pretty much had to have your keys done. But they were turning around saying you could buy a new build property up to 200000 Now, in the Aberdeen market, I could get probably get you a two-bed apartment for that, depending on the build that you went to. There's some higher builders that would turn around and say, no, a two-bed apartment, you're looking at 280000 300000 Thank you very much. So... Uh, from that side of things, it was quite restrictive on the property that you could go for. We do still have lift that's available, which doesn't matter whether it's a new build or an old build. The government will put money in. They'll hold on to a share of the property as help to buy did. And when you sell the property, they then get that share back and off it goes to the, the next family to help them out. What we've seen is a few of the builders and lenders coming together to come up with their own scheme. So there's a scheme called Deposit Unlock, whereby we can access a 5% deposit. The builder has a cost that they pay to the an insurance firm. So back in the old days when Help to Buy originally launched, there was two versions. There was Help to Buy Shared Equity, which is the one that's just run out, and there was Help to Buy Mortgage Guarantee. And the idea with the mortgage guarantee was that the government took out an insurance policy, pretty much like the gap insurance on your car, to say, look, if this person fails to pay their mortgage, you then repossess the property and sell it on, then the insurance policy will cover any loss sort of thing on it. So deposit unlock is effectively mirroring that, but it's between the builder and the lender that's doing it. The builder's paying the cost of it and allowing their clients access to that 95% deal. So it's one of those ones where when you're going along to reserve and you're negotiating on the deals and incentives that you want to make available, you have to be saying that you want to use the deposit unlock because the builder has to agree to it and say, yeah, okay, I'll pay for that insurance policy. The likelihood is they're not going to turn around and say, yeah, we'll pay for the deposit unlock, we'll pay for 5% deposit, we'll give you grass, we'll give you turf, you know, we'll give you carpets, we'll give you everything that we can. They're going to pick and choose as to what plots it's available on and, and if they are going to do anything else, what it's going to be. Because at the end of the day, they're there to make money and they can't throw everything, including the kitchen sink at you and, and lose money out of it. One thing you mentioned just briefly earlier as well was like buy-to-let and investment properties. Do you get many people buying new builds for that reason? And and also if, if they are looking to do a buy-to-let on a new build, is that 
more difficult or is that easy enough to, to get as well for, for investors? The, the investors have started moving across to the buy-to-let market because they're looking at it going, if an energy rating A or B is in there from the beginning and it don't have to do anything, that slightly higher cost for having to buy it is offset by the, the lack of furnishing work that I'm going to have to do to it. So if you turn around to Sparky today and went, look, I need to replace mine to link smoke alarms, they're turning around to you going, yeah, your alarms are going to be expensive because we're past the point when it should have been done. So all the supplier stocks being used up and getting them back up to speed is going to be a bit time consuming and there's going to be a, a passed on cost to you out of it. You've also got the other benefits that we mentioned earlier. When I buy my new build and I know that everything works fine, as a landlord, I can turn around to you and go, well, the house is ready for you to move into. I don't have to do anything to it. All I had was my initial deposit, which with it being in the buy to is normally about the 25%. Off we go, thank you very much. Whereas if I'm buying my old Glasgow tenement property, I'm currently paying over market value because it's quite an active market. And I'm then looking at the energy rate and go, how much am I going to actually have to spend? And is it going to be feasible for me to get it up to that minimum energy requirement? So they're looking at it the same ideas as everyone else going, if I can get into that nice bracket where I don't have to spend money on it, then I'll get a couple of years out of it before I have to do anything. Okay, a lot of information in, in this episode, and, and thank you for, for being our guest, Cameron, I should just stress. But I just wanted to tie things up in a, a tiny little bow here. This is normally what we do at this point in the show, where we sort of take away the, the, the key points. So let's look at this from the point of view of, I'm thinking about buying a new build. I, I want you to go back over for me, please, the plus points right now in the market and the things to be wary of, and just sort of round them up for me. Okay, okay. So you tend to be able to ask for incentives on your new build, depending on the, the area that you're buying in. You have the knowledge that you're going to be the first one in there. And depending on where the build is, and you can choose the tiles and the cabinets and the counters that all go into it. Your downside to it is you're potentially paying more for a new build than you would for a subsequent older property because you're getting all that newness with it. We tend to find that with the, the newer builds, the rooms can be a bit smaller than they were back in the day. That's offset by the energy performance of the property. So it's definitely swings and roundabouts. We'd always say go and view the properties, walk in, do you like it? And that's going to answer its own question, regardless of whether it's new or old. If, if someone was wanting to get in touch with yourself, Cameron, for new build mortgages or, or any kind of mortgages, what, what's the contact details for yourselves? Have you got a website and contact number? Indeed. So www.mclean.fs.co.uk. So McLean's M-C-L-E-A-N. Then F for Freddie, S for Susan.co.uk. And you'll find us on Google and such like. We're on LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, we'll happily help spend all your money and uh, even thank you for doing it. And he'll add to his, uh, his, his whiskey cellar in so doing. <laughs> Here we go, Phil. Let's uh, get into the part of the show where you share your own life story. What have you got regard, regarding this one on, uh, on new build mortgages? Yeah, I've, I've never never bought a new build house myself. I, I can see, certainly see the, the appeal of it, though, and I mean, the, the demand for, for property 
in the UK seems to be, be really good at the moment in most areas. The, the house that I'm in, it, it'll probably be maybe about 15 to 20 years old. So it's not that old. But one thing, I had a few issues with it because seemingly the, the builder who built it was a small one that, that kind of went bust near the end. So I, I think it wasn't finished off to as high a standard as it maybe could have been. But I've never bought an actual brand new property from, from scratch. But like I say, I can really see the, the appeal of it. And mm. you, you were saying, Cameron, you moved into the, the new build yourselves. You've, you've been there and done it, have you? Indeed, I mean, the, the first property that we bought was at an old gas college that had been converted into flats in the east end of Glasgow. And when we drove up to see it, I said no before we'd even got in to see it because <laughs> it looked at Parkhead. And being a, a man from Ayrshire, I was more of the, the blue side of the town <laughs> as opposed to the green side. So I was adamant we were not buying it. Uh, seven years later, before I finally managed to get the move up to Aberdeen and say, right, th this is us into a nice shiny house. And when you compare the, the, the two of them, there is benefits to having the new builders. It was all shiny. We've got to choose everything. But to be fair, I, I turned around and went, that's the house we're buying. Mabel then did all the colours and everything like that. So I, I had no word whatsoever in what went together because if you look at my logo, you'll see those bright colours all around me because I just like bright colours and I put them all together, regardless of how it looks. And so well, that's not how you decorate a house. <laughs> no, absolutely. The best the best thing you can do is just hand over the keys and, and, and not argue. Whatever makes you happy. Yeah. Uh, Phil, we always do this bit as well. You, you find inspiration, I know, through various people that you admire and you love a quote. What have you got on the subject? of today's show, New Bill Morgan. Yeah, quote, quote this week, it's an unknown quote, this or unknown person who, who came out with this one. A house is made of walls and beams, a home is built with love and dreams. Oh, not nice. Now, Phil is uh, really keen on trying to help you with your financial queries. If you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if you wish. Let's get on to this week's contact details. Coming up in a second, I'll give it to you after these. Here's our first question. Hey, Phil, a couple of years ago, my wife forged my signature to take out a £25,000 loan in my name to consolidate debt that was in her name. Although I was concerned at the breach of trust, it wasn't too big a deal to me because it was all joint debt, whoever's name it's in. When we split up a few months ago, she signed a letter guaranteeing to continue paying the £25,000 loan until it was settled. However... I'm now looking to get a loan and struggling to get one. I have a near perfect credit score and my only other debt is a credit card that I pay off in full every month. Is the £25,000 loan my wife took out likely to be preventing me from getting a loan? If so, is there anything I can do to remove the loan from my credit report? The, the loan that's already in his name, there, there's no doubts that that will be impacting on things because what, what lenders will do if, if you're looking to borrow any money, whether it's a mortgage, loan, credit card, they, they're going to look at all the different debts that, that you've got. So they're going to look and say, right, even though she's paying it, it's in his name. So they, they would assume that it's his debt because it's in his name. So they, that'll definitely be causing them issues. One thing I would say, I mean, the ideal situation would be if she can get a loan, repay that, and then she would have the debt in her name. I mean, that, that would be ideal, but I'm kind of assuming that maybe because she took it out in his name in the first place that there might be issues getting that, but that, that would really be the ideal mm. kind of situation in this one. But 
Ah, uh, it's near. So, near so whatever's K. whatever's left, let's say it's let's say it's fifteen k. Yeah, she gets a loan for fifteen k in her name. Yeah, it pays, pays off, off that existing loan, loan yeah. and then pays off the. the that, other that would be the ideal situation, and then once that loan's repaid, you'll probably find that if he then went and applied for a loan in his own name, probably a good chance he would get it at, at that point. The idea of the letter guaranteeing to continue paying the 25k loan, is that something that you've heard of in, in legal terms before? Do you think it's something that they come up between the pair of them? I mean, it depends how it's done. If it's through a solicitor, it would hold more kind of weight. But I, I suppose the fact that the signature was forged in the first place is near a very good thing. And I can understand where he's coming from because yeah. he thinks, right, we're married, so it would be a joint kind of debt sort of anyway, or seen as joint because they were married but uh, mm-hmm. it's not a good situation but ideally if, if she could get a loan in her name that would be ideal if if that were to go through phil can you then is there is there somewhere that you can go i have a feeling that there is somewhere that you can go to get your credit score altered and corrected if there's been a mistake made and how it's been compiled is there yeah if if there's like fraud for example you can dispute that but what you'll find, I mean, I suppose ideally, if, if she could take out a loan, she could actually then give that person the, the money at that stage. And they would then just continue with that loan. So they've then got some of that money that they were maybe looking to borrow the, themselves. But again, because it's, the, the I suppose it depends how amicable things are between you. But the, the other downside is that if she defaults on that, It'll class as him having defaulted on it. So that, that's the other thing. So it's not a great situation to be in. No, it's not. It's a, it's a, it's a proper tough one, that one, isn't yeah. it? Next is one from Claire in Bristol. Hi, Phil. Uh, I recently saw an offer of cash back on a mortgage to the value of £3,000 for furniture for the home. I don't actually need new furniture. Mine's absolutely fine. But if the lender gave me the £3,000 incentive up front, I'd get to my deposit a hell of a lot quicker. Is it possible legally to suggest this or is it simply too cheeky to even ask that's an interesting one as well i know that's exactly what happened when i got my first ever mortgage about 100 years ago uh, i wouldn't have mentioned the advisor or the lender in this scenario but but that is what happened it was a cash buy it was used as a deposit on the flat i was buying because i didn't have it but it paid the five percent i needed and and off i went maybe we should bring in cameron on this one as well phil can you do that now guys not normally. The, the lender normally pays the cash back a couple of weeks to a month after you get the keys, right. or that they'll potentially put it across to the solicitor. Um, with the cash backs, and say there is one lender that's doing 1% cash back at the moment. So depending on the size of mortgage, it could be a couple of thousand. But in general terms, the lenders at the moment are normally doing £500 cash back. Mm. So in the grand scheme of things, if you're struggling to get £500 to get your deposit, you should only be looking at a month to delay in order to save that money up. If you're turning around saying it's going to be a year for you to save that £500 up, then you've got to reassess your affordability and the amount of mortgage that you're trying to take on. Okay. I remember in the good old days, we, we spoke about this in previous episodes, but <laughs> used to get the old Northern Rock mortgages. And I, I remember, we, we, I've, I've mentioned this before, but some uh, one chap, we would take, uh, you could borrow up to 125% and you would get folk borrowing like the 100% to buy the property. But then they'd be thinking, all oh, right, holidays, this and that. You had some savvy folk that would use the, the 25% extra to put down as a deposit and a bite of let and they'd buy two places. It was just crazy days. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was quite surprised there when you said earlier on that, that some lenders were looking at up to five times, was it five times the salary? Five, to, five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I can actually go higher than five times. I, oh, I do have lenders that will do five and a half. I and get financial it, vertigo just thinking about that. <laughs> but the, the lenders are normally quite specific about who it is that they're looking at. So they quite like nurses because a nurse will do their normal shift. They'll do their weekends allowance, but they tend to also go into the bank nursing. So when they get the pattern and they go, I'm a bit bored today, I'll go do a few extra shifts. You tend to find that they're working quite hard or you've got your solicitor's accountants where they start off in a lower income and you can pretty much chart what their salary is going to be over the next five years. And you go, yeah, you're starting off at a reasonable salary for everyone else. But after that five years, you're going to be on a heck of a salary in comparison to everyone else. So it makes great headlines. It makes great papers when you turn around and say, yeah, this is what we're doing. But in reality, when you go and look at it, you find that they are being very selective about who they're giving it to okay. and the scenarios that they want to do it in there. And it's still not that common, I would imagine. Is it, it just a few, a handful of lenders that are doing this sort of idea just now? Exactly. I mean, four and a half to four and three quarters times your gross salary is normally where you want to be looking at. And I would say that was after you'd taken off the annual equivalent of your your loan. So if your car was £200 a month, take £2,400 off of what you've earned and then do your multiple. And it gives you a nice rough figure to work from. Uh, But the bank of mum and dad's certainly helping out a fair amount. I know. My branch is closed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my, my brand, we're only working online now my, my, my branch has closed all physical offices I would, I would just say as well before you get in touch with a question you, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a fair few topics so far and we might have touched on what you're interested in I'm John Ellis, thank you for joining us for the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson and thank you to Cameron McLean from McLean Financial Services for being our guest if you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter find phil for finance search phil anderson financial services online or join the facebook group for the show search personal finance community that's personal finance community on facebook phil's on twitter and linkedin as well or why not email phil a question he can answer on a future show his address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk that's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question and Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured, we won't use your real name if that's what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Then you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Thanks, John. Thanks for coming on, Cameron. Dave, thanks very much, guys. Greatly appreciated.